0: God, I do thank you for Raleigh and the willingness to serve you, serve us, Lord, and I thank you, Jesus, that this is a message from you through Raleigh, and I pray that each one of our hearts and our minds will be open to hear the word, and I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. guys yeah. Okay. So this is like the remnant left in (laughs) Stella Marsh that everyone else has has, uh, escaped. So as uh, Warren said, my name is Riley, and we are actually gonna be in the last and final week of our series uh, called Walk This Way into Healthy Relationships. And um, you may see my title, A Vision for Singleness, and think, how. How does, how does that work in relationships? And so um, the reality is that the Bible actually us, talks to, about us as a body, right? That we're interconnected, that what happens with one part of the body affects the other part. And so if one part isn't functioning properly or in a healthy way, it actually can, can quite um, affect the rest. And so, Having a a healthy and accurate view of singleness is just like having a healthy and accurate view of marriage influences how we relate with one another, how we have relationship with one another, and how we can come alongside and care for one another. And so this is also why I'm hoping those of you that are married in the room don't check out because it's a message for you as much as it is a message for those that are single. Um, and, and that's really been my prayer as I've been prepping is that this sermon would be something that God would use in all of our lives to open our eyes to what his, um, his vision is for different, um, whatever your status is. And I also wanna give you just a little bit of background about myself. Um, Having a healthy view of singleness um, has been quite insignificant in my own life. Uh, Most of you know that I am married, um, but as Stephen mentioned when when we preached together on husbands loving their wives, he was 37 when he got married. Now, I realize that most of you thought that he married a much, much, much younger woman, (laughs) but it's actually not true. I'm only two years younger than him. And so I was 35 when I got married um, and 34 when we met. And to be honest, I was a little surprised to be getting married, not because Stephen tricked me, um, but because I really wasn't sure I was going to get married before I met Stephen. I was really in, I had a desire to get married and have a family, but it, it just didn't seem to be part of God's plan. And, uh, and what God had in store for me. And so I had to really wrestle with, what, what does that mean for who God is? Um, what does it look like for me to live faithfully and trust in a God that is good and gives good gifts? Um, and sometimes those gifts don't match up with your desire. And, and so I, uh, and some of that is, is also... So I really feel strongly that this is a vital thing for us as singles, but also married couples to have a biblical view of singleness. And so I can't cover everything. In fact, you'll be happy to hear that I cut quite a bit out of my preach, um, so we won't be here um, too long. But uh, I think it's really uh, important to at least get, start the conversation. What does it look like? To be faithful in singleness? What does it look like to have a faithful view, a biblical view of what singleness is? And so I think the first question is, what is the vision for singleness that dominates our culture? Right? I think there's actually quite a bit, you know, different people. You ask 10 different people, you might get like eight different answers. But I, I just want to highlight two. And one of them is, right, freedom. You know, you can do what you want, and you're free to live life as you wish. And actually, you can play the field, right? And um, I would say that this is is quite a selfish view. Uh, I think it's highlighted a friend of mine, um, when he was getting married... Now, you uh, South Africans do some, this silly thing where you dress men up in these terrible costumes and make them go around and ask people stuff. But it, it was actually quite shocking, he said, because he would ask people um, about advice for marriage and people were like, don't, you know, like the whole idea of a ball and chain. And, and, and so the vision often is that singleness is freedom. You get to do what you want. Okay, so that's one. And, and then the other one, which I think is a bit more subtle, is that it's a preparation phase. It's kind of a holding pattern between, you, know, um, childhood or young adult and real life. And I think those of us that are, that, that we're, that are young and single really can, can buy into that. And you can think, you know it's, it's kind of this phase to endure. And you know, we need to, I think in, in Christian circles often, not intentionally, but we, we kind of make it this f- um, preparation. You need to prep for marriage. You need to prepare yourself and equip yourself. And I do think that everything that you do in your singleness will affect, for good or bad, in your marriage. But is that really what singleness is about? Because if that's what it's about, then as you get older, and you, and as you age and you realize maybe I'm not going to get married, then what? And so, obviously these are some broad sweeps and generalizations. Um, but, but I think they're quite accurate. Or at least they were my, my experience. Um, but to get an accurate and compelling vision for singleness, we need to see what the Bible has to say about the topic because we know that the Bible shows us what is true. And we need to build our vision and opinion about things, about singleness, on what's true. Not what we feel or even desire. Now, I don't want to dismiss our desires and our feelings. God gave them to us. He, he created us to feel and desire things, but we actually can't build our lives on them because they're not really that firm, and they're changing. And so what does the Bible say? Well, I'd like for us to turn, actually, to 1 Corinthians 7. Um, and so this is a really long passage, and it actually deals with a lot of things. It deals with singleness. It deals with engagement and, and marriage and, and a lot of things. Um, and it seems that Paul is actually responding to questions the Corinthian church has, has written to him about and asked him. And because it's a long chapter, I'm actually going to pull out just a few verses about singleness. Um, and this isn't my favorite way to preach. Uh, so I'm hoping that you guys will actually read the whole chapter because I think it's actually quite a, an incredible chapter to read. Um, and it, then you can, can check my work as well. So let's start with verse seven and eight. First Corinthians seven, um, verse seven. I wish that all were as I myself am. So this is Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul speaking. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I, see, I say that it is good, guys, it is good for them to remain single as I am. So Paul says, he wishes that all were as he was. And we know that Paul was single, at least at this point in his life. So he is saying that his preference is that the Corinthians would remain single. And then in verse eight, he says, it is good for those that are not married, whether never married or widowed, that they stay single. So actually, Paul is commending singleness. How often have you heard singleness commended? He has a very high vision for singleness. Now we know from other places in the, in the New Testament that Paul, Paul also has a high vision of, of marriage. This is not something that has to be pit against each other. One is better than the other right? We've seen in Ephesians, where we've gone through Ephesians, that that actually he says some quite beautiful things about marriage, and that it has a purpose. But here, he is saying, you know what? Singleness is good, and even can be preferred. In these two verses, if I were to boil it down, he is saying singleness is a good gift. Now let's talk about that idea of a gift. Let's read verse seven again. I wish that all were as I am, so single, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so what immediately precedes this is in verses one through six, Paul has been talking about marriage. And, And so what Paul is saying is that each Christian, whether married or single, has a gift from God. To some, God gives the good gift of marriage to others God gives the good gift of singleness and how do we know what gift you have well one author put it really simply I know that I have the gift of singleness I ha- I know which gift I have by a simple test if I'm married I have the gift of marriage if I'm single, I have the gift of being single. I think sometimes we, we make this gift of singleness. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but as this kind of like Herculean like superpower, you know, that you have some, some superpower to endure something that actually is hard. And it is hard. Marriage is hard, though, too. But in fact, when I was 18, brand new Christian, I actually kind of, that was kind of what was put in my head because I heard a, a, I don't know, a teaching of some sort on the fact that, you know, if you are, uh, you know, you have the marriage of, uh, or the gift of singleness, if you have no desire for, for marriage, and if you, you have no um, desire for sex or intimacy or anything like that, imagine that as an 18 year old and being like, okay. I don't have the gift of singleness and that how that that teaching can actually rob people as they get older because then they they start wondering well I'm not married where have I screwed up where have I missed God's but actually that's not what Paul's saying he's saying that he the, the state of being married or the state of being single is a gift God is a good father that gives his children good gifts to steward for the glory of God and our good. The question actually is, is do you believe that? A gift, do you believe God is a good father that doesn't have favorites? That he is a God and a father that doesn't hold out on some and give good things to others? So a gift isn't meant to be something to endure or escape, but rather to be embraced. So if you are single, do you trust your good father? That this doesn't mean that there won't be struggles. And it doesn't mean that there's disappointment sometimes. And that you may not continue to desire marriage. But in the midst of desiring something, can you still receive your circumstances as God's good gift? And I think that this is often the confusion around contentment. Right? We often tell singles, just be content in your circumstances. And... And I have talked to many young women around singleness, and they often say that I want to be content, but I still desire and long for a spouse, and at times I, I'm a bit disappointed, and they can feel guilty about that. But that's, that's not contentment. Now, I don't have a verse for this, and this is where people should get nervous when someone says that. Um, but in my own journey and wrestling with the issue, I think I came to the conclusion that contentment isn't getting to a place where the longing and desire was gone and that I felt excited every day being single, but instead that I put the outcome in God's hands and trusting his goodness towards me. and much of the just like much of the christian life this is actually a moment by moment thing it's not a once off it can be but often it looks like turning towards our father and saying i trust you but help me trust you there will be seasons when it is easier and seasons when it is harder But do you trust your good father in both? Do you turn towards your good father in both? I don't know why God gives some the gift of singleness, some the gift of marriage, and many, both, in different seasons of life. But I do know God's ultimate plan for us is to be formed into the image of Christ and to be a blessing for those around us. And so God, in his infinite wisdom and goodness, has decided that the best way for you to do that right now is single, if you're single, and married, if you're married. The purpose of your singleness, as is the purpose of your marriage, is to be made into the image of Christ, and to bless those around you. And so do you see both marriage and singleness as a good gift? And this question isn't just for those here that are single. Those of us that are married have to also realize that how we talk and think about singleness and marriage has an effect on others' views as well. And so you may think of course yeah that's what the bible says i think that singleness is a good gift but have you ever said or thought gosh it's such a shame so-and-so isn't married or as it was said to me with good intentions often don't worry I don't know if I gave off that, like I'm (laughs) concerned, but don't worry, the right person will come around. And again, these are often said and thought very innocently, but what they actually reveal is that we think there is something better than singleness. That there is actually some sort of lack and missing out in being single. And I just want to point out here that the most significant, healthy human to ever live was actually single. And I think he lived a fairly fulfilling and fruitful life. And by no means was Jesus lacking or missing out on it on something. Sam Alberry in his book, Seven Myths About Singleness, I'm going to take a short plug here, and if you know me well, you know that's what I do is I plug books. But if you're going to read one book, if you're married or single and you're going to read one book on singleness, this is the one to read. It's, it's well written and it's just really insightful and helpful. But anyway, he makes the point in his book that we tend to define singleness as the absence or lack of something. Right? Singleness is the, the lack of a spouse. And often to us, singleness is that, you know, the absence of, of um, family. And of course, if we think of it that way, as of lacking something good, we want to try and, you know, fix it and attain it. And sometimes, sadly, we'll go to any means necessary. But he actually points out that Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, sees it as an opportunity for something. So let's read um, verses 32 and 35 in, in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. So just before this, he commends people to stay as they are. So meaning, if you are unmarried, you should stay that way. And he actually says that it might be better. how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. So it's fine if you do get married. There's no, no command not to, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided of devotion to the Lord. So basically what he is saying is that to be married adds complexity to your life. So Paul is pointing out that when you are unmarried and without children, you have a unique opportunity. His language here is quite amazing, actually. He says that if you are unmarried, you have an opportunity. And I would say just an easier opportunity of undivided devotion to the Lord. You have a freedom that comes with singleness. But here's the thing, it isn't a selfish freedom. You have an opportunity to serve the Lord and the body of Christ in ways that might be more difficult or at least more complicated when married. You often have more time, flexibility, and even money to be used for kingdom purposes. You know, I've seen this in my own life. When I was single, I had a much larger capacity to invest very broadly You know, and the number of people I had relationships with, that I could have actually deep relationships with much more people. And even the diversity of ways I could serve. You know, I didn't need to coordinate my schedule and my time um, with someone else. So if a need came up, it was much easier for me to just go. And I still, you know, I'm able to invest. And as a family, we want to invest our lives well. And we want to invest our life and our time. It just looks a lot different. So if you are single, are you seeing the opportunities? Or if we're going to go back to the language of Ephesians, the good work God has prepared for you. Because the thing is, God knew you were going to be single now. So he has specific good works for you now in your singleness that you can meet in unique ways. So if the Bible tells us that singleness is a good gift and that singleness brings unique opportunities to serve God, then why? Why do so many see singleness as not a fulfilling way to live? I think it can be summed up in the reaction that I got from a student that, I was, in, that was in a Bible study I was leading um, when she heard that I was single until um, 35. No joke, her first reaction was, and I'm pretty sure it was a prayer, oh Lord, not me. <laughs> and then she looked at me and she goes, weren't you so lonely? the number one thing that comes up when I chat with particularly young singles is a fear of being alone. Or a fear of loneliness. But that to me is just a misunderstanding of the purpose and the role of marriage. It is true that we were created to love and be loved deeply and to be known, but but marriage was never meant to completely fill that need. You know, in, in, um, in my reading and in my prepping, I, I came across um, a quote that, uh, that I found quite profound. I think it was by uh, Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, and she says, Loneliness is the one form of suffering no Christian should ever endure. loneliness is the one form of suffering no christian should ever have to endure why would she say that with such confidence and i believe it's because god has designed something that actually meets that need that can prevent that need that loneliness because when we come to faith we are saved from our sins and we are saved into a family when we put our trust in Christ for our salvation, we are adopted immediately into the family of God. So Ephesians one five says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if I'm adopted into God's family and, and so are you, that means that we are siblings. So here together, this isn't a church with a group of people. This is a family. And so notice the Bible doesn't say that we are like a family. There's lots of metaphors, but this, he's actually saying, no, we are family. Whether you like it or not, the person next to you is your sibling, and I am too, and we're part of a family. And it's one thing to agree to that. Sure, you know, we would say that often. Most of us would assent to that and say, y'all, and then we kind of go about our own lives to our own families. So it's quite another to actually live as a family. And I, br- I really believe that li- to live a flourishing life as a single, we have to, to actually live this out. And I would go even further than that. To actually live a flourishing life as a Christian, this needs to be our reality. We need to work on working this out and what it looks like. And as I was preparing and thinking about my own life, I just actually realized, I mean, I I was incredibly grateful looking back because this was a game changer for me. And my experience as a single and to be honest, even now as a married person, I have seen and experienced this in profound ways that have shaped who I am. And I'm so grateful. I I and actually as I was thinking about this, I, I could I could think of names and people that are still dear to me, literally across the world. You know, since I was 18, I've lived pretty far from my family, my biological family, even before I moved halfway across the world. and But since I became a Christian, I have never felt I have been without close family. Never. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to draw on Sam Albury's words if God has blessed us with a biological family, we need to be folding our spiritual family into the life of our biological family. There should be a very porous boundary between the two. Our eternal family is Christ, or our eternal family in Christ is not the people with the same last name as us, but actually the people who are being baptized into the same name as us. The blood of Jesus is thicker than the blood of biology. We miss something beautiful if we don't actively pursue to live as family. And so in my own life, I have been so enriched, right, by being invited into really chaotic dinner situations with small children. In fact, I have actually been reprimanded um, by my friend for laughing when her, his two-year-old was throwing food at the table. And, and so I'm, I'm not talking about entertaining. It's not about saying, you know, inviting someone in and having the perfect, the perfect laugh and the perfect meal and, and, and that. It's, I'm talking about doing normal life. So pulling up a chair at the table, opening your homes, Opening your lives and your hearts. What that means is, if you are the one being invited, you pick up a dish towel, you pick up a knife to prep, you play with the kids so dinner you can actually get dinner at a decent time. So that's real life. You know, my mom always had a, a saying that I really appreciate. She's like, she's like, I hate guests, but I love family. So come. You know, put your feet up. Don't do that in everyone's house. But, you know, that's the idea. So I've, I've also felt deeply loved when brothers, right? I have a lot of older and younger brothers. Not biological, but through the family of God. And they, they without me asking, offered to fix my car, a few things on my car. Now, just because I fit the stereotype, don't assume all women are as inept as I am at CARS, but the idea is that there's something really special when you see a need and you meet it, because that's what family does. But this is not a one-sided thing. It It can be easy to think we as families need to open our lives to singles to benefit them but we benefit as well. And I'm talking about much more than babysitting. I want people outside my biological family to be aunts and uncles to Annie, to be brothers and sisters to Stephen and I. We all benefit because God has given us each unique circumstances, and unique gifts. Sometimes people outside our circumstances have have an incredible insight. But it's funny that we can actually believe the lie. And I see it. I see it all the time. Um, That if we are not in the same circumstances or life stage, that we can't speak into each other's lives. Or the opposite, you know, sometimes people outside our, you know, we think people outside our circumstances won't be able to speak into it, and won't be able to to help us with what we're going through. And I really believe that that is a lie that keeps us from living family properly. And and as a single, I I didn't realize that I, I thought of it this much, and I, and I believed it this much. Uh, until I had one, I can really remember, vividly remember the situation. And it really helped me reject this. And I had a friend that was probably about 15 years older than me. Um, and they had uh, four boys. And she, she, we were having coffee and she shared a, a struggle that they were having with their teenage boy. Something that they just were not, were just, were kind of at their wits end. And, uh, and she asked what I thought. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm 30 and I don't have, I'm not married, I don't have kids. Like I said, I I was like, I don't know. You know, I was almost asking permission after she's asked me. And she looked me in the eyes and said, Riley, I don't want your input because you have the same experience of me. I want your input because you love and know Jesus and I trust you. So, I want people in our family's life, in Annie's life, because they love Jesus. And they point me to Jesus. And hopefully, they will point Annie to Jesus in ways that I can't. Because their lives are different than mine. And, guys, I. This is a bit off script, which I don't normally do, but I just really feel that this is significant. Guys, if you are single, if you are young, your your words are valuable. You have insight. We need you to speak, to use what God has put in you, to use your, your circumstances and your giftings for the building up of the our family. So you may think that as I'm talking about this idea of church family, you're like, well, you may still not be convinced. And you may think, well, this isn't really the same as being married. And you're right. It's not. But the reality is no human relationship will ever truly meet the longings of our heart. They weren't meant to. The best Of love in any human relationship is only a shadow of the love that God shows us so no person can fully know us and have a perfect unconditional love only God can and if you're looking for that in people you're setting yourself and those people up to fail friends marriage isn't the pinnacle of relationships our relationship with Jesus is. And so, yes, lean into the relationships that God has given you, whether you're married or single. You know, be known and loved. Serve and love others. But look to Jesus to fulfill the longings of your heart. What we need to see in marriage and singleness are both beautiful or what we need to see is marriage and singleness are both beautiful means that God uses in our lives. But they are also both designed to point to something much more beautiful. Most of us can you know, know that, that we've heard the sermons, right? Marriage is pointing to Jesus' relationship with his church. It testifies to God's faithful covenant and his love towards his people. It was designed to be a signpost for something incredible and lovely. And that is why Jesus says there will be no marriage in the new heavens and the new earth, because we won't need the signpost anymore. We will be in the presence and experiencing that love deeper than we ever could. But what about singleness? You know, I... When I was single, I, uh, I thought, okay, well, that's cool that marriage, do I not get to show the gospel in my life? But actually, faithful Christian singleness points to the sufficiency of Christ for all things. It testifies that Jesus is enough, and through him we receive all that we need and much, much more. As one author says, singleness prophetically points to a reality greater than the satisfaction of this present age by consciously anticipating our eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God. So when you look at a faithful Christian single, you get to be reminded that the things, what we find significant in this world is, is kind of dust compared to what is to come. And isn't it so kind of God to give us real life, tangible expressions? Because he knows that we're forgetful people. And so we get to together be expressions of the gospel. So family, we need each other. We need healthy marriages to remind us of God's faithful love and we need healthy singles to remind us that it is only Jesus that brings satisfaction and that point us to the day that together we will stand with our perfect bridegroom, Jesus himself. And so singles, that's what you do for us. We look at you to say God is enough. And you wait faithfully for the bridegroom and you remind all of us that that's what we are to do. So I want to pray for us as we close and then we'll take communion together. So Father, I thank you that you are a good father. I thank you that you give good gifts to your children and that you do not withhold something from any of us. Lord, thank you that you care more about us being made into the image of your son than the things that sometimes that we think will bring satisfaction. Lord, I pray that you renew all of our vision for what you say about singleness. Father, I pray that if there's any of us that are here that that are struggling with their, whether that you are good towards them, that you would remind them that you are a good father. Lord, may they turn to you, may all of us turn to you with the desires of our heart and trust you. Trust your goodness towards us. Lord, I pray that we would live, truly live as family, that we would be aunts and uncles to kids, and that we would be brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. Lord, I know the complexity of that, but I pray that you would help us see the beauty of that above the frustration and the complexity of it. Give us an accurate vision for how we each point one another to the good news of the gospel. In your precious son's name, amen.